Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy, which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics? The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Luke Thompson, who is a Republican political consultant, and we're going to be asking what's the matter with the Lincoln Project. Now, Luke, for some Americano listeners, particularly British listeners who aren't too familiar with sort of the Twitter wars on the right, I'd say, they might not know what the Lincoln Project is. I'm going to summarise it quickly and steer me if I, if I get it wrong. They regard themselves as the sort of death star of the Never Trump movement. And over the last five years, they've launched a sort of vicious assault, mainly online, but a lot through TV networks and a lot of PR, a sort of massive PR campaign against Trump, supposedly from within the Republican Party. But it's actually largely funded, I think, by Democrats and is despised by not just people who supported Trump, but a lot of other Republicans, I think it's fair to say. And in recent days or recent weeks, they've had something of a crisis. There's been a sex scandal involving one of their chief executives. There's been financial scandals. And yesterday, they hacked into the Twitter account of a journalist and posted it on the internet, which they thought, I think, made them look smart, but has actually backfired on them spectacularly. Is that a fair summation of what they are and what's going on with them? Well, there, there are a couple of, couple of missing parts in that summation, but I think suffice to say... The Lincoln Project is a group of self-branded, never-Trump conservatives and Republicans whose initial reason for being was to oppose the re-election of Donald Trump. One of the characteristics of the group is that it's always been a little bit amorphous in terms of its goals beyond fighting Trumpism and its organizational structure. So it has a set of co-founders. It has a group of leadership. It has a seemingly rotating and endless number of senior advisors. And it also has staff members now, a staff that's grown, to include Democratic political professionals such as, you know, a fellow who's now John Ossoff's digital director, to uh, fans of the Lincoln Project who host podcasts and and post newsletters, etc. So it has, it has never really been one thing, but in its relatively short life, it's worth keeping in mind that this organization was launched in December of 2019 with a New York Times op-ed. It has gone through a series of stages and almost as many scandals, culminating, as you mentioned yesterday, in the release of Twitter direct messages from Jennifer Horn, one of their former executive senior advisors, again, her role is unclear, to a journalist who was reporting on a sex scandal involving solicitations sent to young men, including some minors, people below the age of 18, one as young as 14, 
by Lincoln Project co-founder and longtime John McCain consultant, John Weaver, who was a co-founder of the Lincoln Project and has been out of the public eye since claiming to have had a heart attack last summer. That ostensible heart attack could have been real, I don't know, happened at a time when the New York Post was reporting out claims of Weaver sending sexually explicit messages to men, often with an explicit promise of help with their political or their political activism careers in exchange for affection, for lack of a better term. The Lincoln Project has been eager to distance themselves from Weaver now, haven't they? They've said his behaviour is appalling, and they've almost said, you know, the difference between us and Trump world is that we condemn people within our ranks when they do something appalling. Is that right? Yeah, this is this is what has sort of kick-started this, you know, Lincoln Project denouement, which is Steve Schmidt, who is by any account the leader of the Lincoln Project, claimed out of the gate when, when the New York Times reported out the John Weaver story that the New York Post was not able to get to publication last summer, Steve Schmidt gave an unequivocal denial saying, I didn't know anything about this. Nobody at the Lincoln Project has ever known anything about this. And then as Steve Schmidt is wont to do a bunch of highfalutin nonsense about, thank God John McCain isn't alive to see this, a bunch of obscenities and calling John Weaver every bad name under the sun. It has since emerged in leaked internal communications, claims made by former Lincoln Project employees, etc., that everyone in the senior leadership of the Lincoln Project was aware of what John Weaver was doing, and they all decided to cover it up in order to avoid you know, having to deal with the fact that one of their co-founders was a pederastic predator while attempting to take down Trump. And it should be said, while taking in millions and millions and millions of dollars from small donors and large donors alike, right? They've they've collected millions in, you know, ten and twenty dollar contributions from from liberals who like their ads, as well as millions from major Democratic donors, including people like David Geffen and even Chuck Schumer's dark money operation. So Democratic Senate leadership gave these people money. Let's try to be fair to them as much as we can, because I think that we can be unpleasant in a bit. But I mean, they they were pretty good at viral advertising, is it not fair to say? I mean, their videos were I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's fair to say that at all. Every, every empirical study of the Lincoln Project's ads has shown that they are ineffective at persuading anyone, drive away swing voters, etc. You know, if you contrast their approach to somebody like Republican Voters Against Trump, which was a different Never Trump super PAC, RVAT, first of all, focused on TV ads in swing state markets. They did first-person testimonials by Republicans who didn't like Donald Trump. And they tried to lean into this idea of giving Republican voters permission to break with Trump without, without throwing over the Republican Party writ large. You contrast that to the Lincoln Project, who essentially called Susan Collins of Maine, you know, the moral equivalent of Goebbels or Goering. And it's not surprising. Uh, the Lincoln Project was very good at making ads that appealed to green room bookers at MSNBC and deranged online liberal Gen Xers and boomers who would part ways with their their money as as a kind of consumption good to watch these videos in which you know the Lincoln Project called Donald Trump a Russian asset and other insane stuff like that. So no, their ads were bad. Their operations were also borderline criminal. You know, routinely they were spending on production costs two, three, and four times the industry standard for the material they were producing. It has been more or less a criminal operation from the get-go. I certainly didn't know until last summer that part of that 
malfeasance involved covering up for pederasty, but it also, it now turns out, has that element as well, and we learned this morning from reporting that the FBI is investigating John Weaver. So, yeah, it's it's been quite a cycling snowball of misbehavior. A lot of never-never Trumpers, let's call them, or, or people who just dislike the, the tone of the Lincoln Project, because it was, it was yes. very vicious, they are a little bit suspicious about the fact that the Weaver story didn't come out till after the election. I mean, is, it should that, be. is that why it got held up? Is it just would have hurt the Lincoln Project's I, attempt to take that? I, I, I mean, we can only speculate, but, you know, I, I think there, there was plenty of material out there in the, in the public. You know, the New York Post did some excellent reporting on the Lincoln Project, both especially on the just appalling personal finances of its founders, including John Weaver, who's gone bankrupt several times, and Rick Wilson out of Tallahassee, who had, you know, something like $600,000 that he owed to the IRS in unpaid taxes. So there was plenty of reporting out there that these guys weren't on the up and up. The National Review, the magazine I write for, sometimes did a good story on the ways in which the organization was overcharging for its services and seemed to be bilking its donors and avoiding transparency. And yet the mainstream media sat on it and they avoided it. Weaver's claim of a heart attack, again, it, he may very well have had a heart attack. We don't know. He's disappeared from public life except to release a statement apologizing for sexual harassment and saying that he, you know, was a homosexual, that he basically tried the Kevin Spacey defense. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just a man in the closet, which uh, fortunately, as with Spacey, is not holding up because that's not what was going on here. He was engaging in, in sexual predation. But to come back to your question, there was plenty of material, plenty of evidence that these guys were crooked and the mainstream media chose not to investigate. Now, until after the election. Part of that may be because they are entirely creatures of the mainstream media. As I mentioned, the Lincoln Project is launched by the New York Times with an op-ed. They received daily promotion on CNN and MSNBC. It was a rare day where you didn't see someone associated with the Lincoln Project on Morning Joe, which probably was the show other than maybe Joanne Reed's show that promoted them the most. And so there are a lot of people in the, in the press who need to answer for the fact that they picked these guys, promoted them, made them rich, made them famous, and were essentially bilking their own viewers out of money, convincing them to give money to this crooked organization that became functionally the political arm of, of MSNBC. And it was dishonest, wasn't it? Because on, on TV, certainly, they'd always be presented as pained Republicans, you know, whereas it was very obvious to anyone with a brain that they were, they were effectively another arm of the Democratic Party in the election. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the narrative that they were Republicans is, is absurd. And it always was. You know, Steve Schmidt functionally hasn't been a Republican since he lost John McCain's election in 2008. He and John Weaver have both been mainstays of the mainstream media's, you know, little niche market for Republicans who hate the Republican Party. During the Bush administration, Weaver actually left the Republican Party and worked for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, then came back, although the only person he could sort of hornswoggle into hiring him was John Kasich. So these folks are, con men is almost too nice a word because con men are original and they're clever and they come up with a series of confidence tricks. These guys are one trick ponies who say we're Republicans who hate Republicans in the environment of Trump's reelection in December of 2019 when the economy was going very well, coronavirus hadn't shown up yet, a kind of collective psychological panic on the part of the mainstream media 
made them pick the group of anti-Trump Republicans. Again, I've mentioned there were other groups trying to defeat Trump from within what you might call conservatism. It convinced the mainstream media to pick the most odious, coarsest, least effective, most dishonest, and of course, as it turns out, the most perfidious group of these people available, right? I, I am not a fan of sort of never Trumpism because I think it lives in, a, in an alternate political reality than the one that, that exists after a person is elected in a national election. However, there were alternatives to the Lincoln Project. The press picked these people precisely because of the characteristics they possess that make them so morally repugnant. And it seems interesting that they, since the election, they don't seem to have got involved in this question of what happens to the Republican Party much. Am I right in thinking that? Well, that's, that's because unlike the other Never Trump groups, they turned against the Republican Party writ large. They ran ads against Susan Collins. That was their big target. They thought they were going to beat Collins in Maine, and so they spent millions of dollars in bad TV ads against Susan Collins in Maine. TV ads that, as I mentioned, were funded in part by Chuck Schumer. You can't attack the most moderate Republican senator using Chuck Schumer's dollars and then claim to be disenchanted Republicans. You're just Democratic bagmen if you're doing that. And you also can't say that your entire thing is, is built around moral outrage at Donald Trump if you're going and attacking rank-and-file Republicans because they're quote-unquote complicit. And you know th- this rhetoric of complicity is the tool that I think the Lincoln Project deployed most and made it most appealing to liberals because their answer was not, we are Republicans trying to defeat Trump to preserve conservatism. Their actual message was, we are former Republicans trying to defeat Trump because all Republicans are evil. And that partisan appeal, right, masked in this extremely thin fig leaf of of still being Republicans is actually what made them appealing, what got them access to MSNBC, what got them access to CNN, and made them the sort of darlings of the liberal mainstream media. Is it simply because the mainstream media is so liberal and democratic-leaning that it's impossible to imagine... A democratic version of the of the Lincoln Project, a kind of, you know, I've seen never Biden would be ridiculous, but a kind of, you know, the Republican Party would never be able to have a sort of operation within the democratic ecosystem that was so potent as the Lincoln Project. Well, when you say potent, I assume you mean at raising money and, and seizing head, headlines, not at changing minds. Well, I, I think that Trump actually changed the structure of our mainstream media in a really important way. We've always had a liberal media, but a liberal media is willing to be critical of Democrats when they're not liberal. It's an ideological force. What happened under Trump is that the media had stopped being liberal and became partisan, right? A liberal media is always going to favor the liberal party, so they're going to prefer the Democrats to the Republicans most of the time, but not universally. What's happened under Trump is that the mainstream media has become a collection of agitprop factories for the Democratic Party. We can go into the reasons for this, why, you know, digital media has has encouraged this, et cetera, if you want. But but the really important shift here is that the press was looking for a vehicle to attack Trump and the Republican Party as such, not on the basis of policy, but on the basis of factional interest. So yeah, it would be impossible for the Republican Party to create this. Imagine in a sort of contrary world where Bernie Sanders is the nominee of the Democratic Party running against against Donald Trump in 2020, and you will not see a never Sanders movement. You might see a couple of Twitter accounts, 
there might be Democratic voters who defect, but you're not going to have and, – and I'm sure there would be former Democratic consultants that would go on Fox, but you wouldn't have day in and day out across conservative media. And conservative media, of course, is a fraction of the size of the mainstream media – the same network of consultants being held up as the most ruthlessly effective operators in this business, you know, give them money because they're they're turning their guns that have been turned on us on the other side. I just it it is a a unique creature of the ecosystem, the mainstream media. Was the Lincoln Project formed after Russiagate kind of fell apart? Because a lot of the figures involved it were very much Russiagate people. Well, it, it depends on when you think Russiagate fell apart. So like I said, it's announced in December 2019 in a New York Times op-ed. Presumably it was formed, say, the month before. You know, if you see the first Trump impeachment as an extension of Russiagate, then no, it was, it was sort of formed in the, the red dwarf phase of Russiagate. If you think instead that Russiagate ends with the Mueller report, then yes, it would be that these were folks who, who formed up afterwards. I'm not really personally sure you can say that Russiagate is a discrete thing because it is this kind of all-encompassing and protean conspiracy theory that's able to, to put Trump on both sides of the Russia-Ukraine conflict and, and have him be both you know this, this incredible secret agent in Jonathan Chait's imagination, but also a bumbling buffoon who doesn't know what he's doing and has no impulse control. So I don't know. I mean, insofar as you can say there's a discrete thing like Russiagate, just as insofar as you can say there's a discrete thing called QAnon, I, I guess you would say it probably came at the end of Russiagate, but eh, I don't know. I wouldn't say that this was a logical extension of people trying to keep the Russiagate grift going, even though the publications and platforms that really pushed the Lincoln Project, again, MSNBC, the New York Times, were big Russiagate platforms along with the Atlantic, which probably was the the biggest proponent of Russiagate conspiracy theories. One thing the Lincoln Project people claimed, I know Rick Wilson likes to claim this a lot, is, is that they managed to mess with Trump's head. And this always struck me as a sort of slightly strange claim because it, it showed that they saw themselves as a trolling operation against one man rather than anything else, really. I think this is one area where there might be a degree of truth in the claim, although it's unclear to what extent Trump was elevating them because they were uniquely ineffective and also obviously crooked. You know, it's, it's hard with Trump because sometimes he seems to be very canny and sometimes he seems to be like a lunatic child. And it's difficult to know which, which is going on at any given time. Sometimes it's not worth trying to figure out. It is certainly true that the Lincoln Project would make ads designed to anger Trump and sort of key in on some of his insecurities around his physical health, his appearance, things like that, and then would only buy them on Fox News to run in morning day parts in the Washington, D.C. media market when they expected reasonably the president, the then president, to be watching television. And he, of course, was notoriously an avid television news watcher. He tweeted about them sometimes, and I think that they learned that when he would tweet about them, they would be able to drive huge amounts of contributions. And so that was certainly the, – the trolling was part of their operation. My guess, at least the way they explained it publicly, was we troll the president to get contributions. We then turn those contributions into normal campaign communications in swing states to try to help Biden. As a practical matter, that might work as a story – 
were it not for all of the other obvious stuff going on, including the the, the bloated consulting rates, the, the bloated production costs, and the ambiguity around who was being paid and how and through which vehicles they were funneling money. And so given the general opacity of the organization, it's very difficult to take seriously their claims that they were trolling Trump in order to raise money to spend instrumentally and strategically. Did they have any international ambitions? Were they getting involved in... They actually are currently, at least so far as I know, still employed by one politician in Israel. I don't know if they still are, and I can't remember the the name of the Israeli politician. It's an anti-Netanyahu politician, no surprise there. And that's become somewhat controversial in Israeli politics right now. It seemed to me that their post-election plan was to form a a kind of parallel company to Crooked Media, the, the media company founded by a set of Barack Obama communication staff, famous for having podcasts and, and events. Um, and they, were, they seemed to be well on their way to doing that. They'd launched something called Lincoln Project TV. They had a series of podcasts and newsletters, as I mentioned. Their demographic was a little older than the Pod Save America, Crooked Media demographic, sort of more the Gen X wine mom liberal wine mom constituency than the the young urban millennial constituency. But they, they wanted to transition into being a media empire. I think they genuinely believed that the, that the gravy train was going to run on forever. What they discovered, of course, is that quite reasonably, everyone on the Republican side of the aisle hated them for partisan reasons, if for nothing else. And then everyone on the Democratic side of the aisle hated them too for being opportunists, crooks, and Johnny-come-latelys who soaked up millions in in small and large donor dollars and pocketed a huge share of that. So they've now found themselves at the moment where they thought they were breaking out into, into forming a massive media empire, throwing one another under the bus, having their former staff defect, the John Weaver sexual impropriety issues coming to the fore, and essentially the organization seems to be unraveling in front of our eyes with no friends because the fact of the matter is they have no political allies. Would it be exaggerating their importance to speculate as to whether they're having any influence over Biden's foreign policy, particularly we see that Biden is not calling Netanyahu? Is he perhaps betting that Netanyahu might lose the election? We know that some Lincoln Project people are close to Democrats in the administration. Is that far-fetched to me? Am I conspiracy thinking? Yeah, I I think it's far-fetched. The actual, on the left, the, the narrative more seems to be that the that the Lincoln Project, and again, I don't think this is true, but the, the Lincoln Project is characterized as a bunch of neocons trying to make an entryist push into the Democratic Party to turn the Democratic Party hawkish. I think that argument could be made of, of some people. Like, you know, I do think Bill Kristol, for instance, wants to try to build a home for a more muscular foreign policy in the Democratic Party. I think he's going to fail at that, but I, I think that's his plan, and he's looking to kind of make an entryist move. I don't think the Lincoln Project has any such purchase. And, you know, people throw around the term neocon willy-nilly without actually knowing what they mean, right? Or having a concrete concrete meaning. But no, look, the, the guys at the Lincoln Project don't care about anything. They don't, they're, they don't have souls and they don't have beliefs. And so the notion that there's some kind of like vanguard policy front is belied by the fact that they believe nothing. The, the Trump campaign was guilty of these sins too. There was a lot of money being hoovered up in strange places and a lot of misspending and no doubt we'll find out in time a fair amount of corruption within the Trump campaign. It's odd, isn't it, that the the Lincoln Project was very keen on exposing all that, but they seem to be all the things they claim Trump was. I think that's mostly right, yeah. They certainly don't have any principles as much as they like to like 
ho and hum about principle. They don't have any persistent commitment to conservatism as much as they like to call you know, Trump a fake conservative. And of course, the sexual impropriety of which John Weaver is accused outstrips more or less anything that, that's come up about about the president is inner circle. Yeah, they're crooks. They're shabby con men, and it's good that they're being exposed. It's a disgrace that the press didn't do its job and expose them before the election. Finally, Luke, what do you predict might happen? Do you think some of them might go to jail? Well, certainly if the FBI is looking into Weaver, that's that's got to be a concern. And it appears they hacked into Jennifer Horn's Twitter account last night, so that that is illegal, so it's possible. And then if they used any of the organization's money to to pay people to shut up about what Weaver was doing... That could get them in trouble. It's hard to know, of course, because we don't we don't know. But I certainly wouldn't look at the way they've conducted themselves in the last forty eight hours and say these guys are, you know, real smart or good at seeing the big picture and engaging in acts of self preservation. They seem to be very temperamental and reactive and stupid. On that note, Luke, I think we'll end it. But thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> All right, my pleasure.